in this episode. What is your data trust level? Then how do you shorten cycles and learn why I love Norway? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to another episode, real, real quick, if you want to support the show, leave me a review. It's a number way to support this show and our eight other oil and gas shows, soon to be 11. A big shout out to Nutanix. If you need help modernizing your data center and running applications at any scale, on-prem or in the cloud, these are the people you want to talk to. And I'm sitting here in the can in Houston, Texas. It's March, but it's 81 degrees, right? It was 40 just two days ago, normal Houston weather. And I'm sitting here with Francois. How you doing, Francois? Good. Thank you, Mark. How are you? Doing good. Just busy. And you work for a company called Cognite. What does Cognite do? That's right. So Cognite is a software company, and we work with heavy industry, helping them transforming their business and making use of their data. Yeah. And so industries like oil and gas, who historically have always been a big data industry, I mean, back when it was paper mud logs, still data, right? Mm. The problem in our industry, though, is that we haven't used our data effectively, and we don't even have it in one place. It tends to be siloed. Some of it tends to be dirty. And that's the world that y'all voluntarily want to come work in. And Absolutely. All that. <laughs> the more dirty, the more places the data is in, the more we like it. So you're spot on, right? There's a lot of data. It's not, there's really no shortage of it. It's just how many can you really put to work for you? And that's where it's really problematic right now. They're having these huge amounts of seismic data, sensor data, imagery, and, and, and we work really with heavy industry. That's really where our sweet spot is and oil and gas is our biggest and fastest growing segment. And there is tons of data that can be put to use. It's just all over the place and it's not connected and the quality is questionable. So if you're going to drive decisions based on it, you probably want to first take a good look at how can I trust it? Yeah, you're spot on. And being able to use the data that we have to make smart business decisions is crucial. We're in this very low crude price environment. Actually, today, there's a bit of a negotiation, public negotiation going on between Russia and mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia. Everybody's worried about it. It's not. It's just they're trying to leverage each other. But it's driven the price of crude down, right? Yeah. So now every penny matters. Every bad decision impacts your bottom line. And that's really where our sweet spot is, isn't it? You come in and help companies make the right decisions. Absolutely, absolutely. People think about making better decisions and using AI, but it's even simpler than that. You can see already big gains by just giving the right data to the people that are actually on the ground, making the decisions on an everyday basis, or the engineers that make decisions in the back office about either drilling decisions or how to actually operate better on the field. And very often it's just giving them the right data so that they can search and basically adjust themselves what they should be doing and they know better than, than most and then of course then you go to more efficiency and algorithms but it can be very very simple to increase the efficiency of, of the operators as it is but the macro climate is going to certainly put a screw on that and forcing people to actually realize that efficiency is the game now yeah it's really interesting so for my entire career in this industry you know this industry is full of engineers and we do big projects all over the world but it's really a shame when an engineer spends most of his workday scrubbing Excel spreadsheets trying to get to what he needs to instead of being an engineer, right? Yeah. And this is kind of what you're talking yeah, about, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and sometimes the Excel spreadsheet is even digital, right? So you, have, you have still have tons of paper, just people making a small note or, or people using a 4x3 to check out how much oil there is left in the tank. I mean, it's, it's 
a lot of the practices have been there for ages and they make sense isolated but the problem is that then it's you go back to the idea of a silo right except for the person who has right typed in the information nobody else can actually use it and do something out of it and and very often now we need we need to extract that we need to make use of that data put it to work for the people on the field but also also to start optimizing on a bigger scale we are in the large industry and there is gains from this large amount of data to just work better yeah, it is fascinating. I've seen, you spoke of AI a little while ago. I've watched AI come from a concept to a reality to a real working tool. Yeah. There's AI instances that comb through old seismic data that found oil reservoirs that people missed, right? Because people can't crunch a thousand data streams a second, but AI is good at that, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. But the flip side, to your point, the people is what is so important. And if you can enable the people in the oil and gas industry to work better and faster and leaner by giving them the right tools, in this case, the right data, it makes everything just run better. I absolutely agree. Even simple things can have a big impact. I'll give you an example because it's pretty easy to understand when just giving the operators on the field access to the data they need. So, so the maintenance engineers, the, the people really operating the infrastructure that, that, that produces just the right information, what, what we've seen is they report themselves, they do 10% more, more jobs in a month, and they save 50% of their time on their rounds. That's right? huge. Just, just giving them the information. They know what to do. Just right. give them the right information. And it's safer as well because they don't need to radio in to know whether something is happening. They have the data. They know if it's hot or if it's cold. They know what they need to do. They have the right information. So simple things can make a big impact. And then, of course, then you go to what about if I sprinkle a little bit of models and AI and physics learning? And then, yes, then you can unlock millions. And, and the same story there. It doesn't necessarily mean that the machine is taking over or the algorithm is taking over. What we see is that very often you augment the person making the decision. So you, you tell them, we believe that this is what, what's happening. We believe that this and this should be looked at. What do you think? So we do that for equipment. We do that for production optimization on wells. We do that on separators and, and effectively augmenting the person that is there on the field. And that's, that's millions every single time. It's really interesting. So one of the things when I first saw this, what I call oil field 2.0, when mm. big data analytics was the first big tool that came in, then eventually machine learning, AI, and a lot of people were worried about losing their jobs, the machines who replace people. What I've seen is just the opposite. So number one, now the engineer can actually be an engineer, yeah. right, instead of combing through Excel spreadsheets. But number two, who's better to train the machine? Who do, who's better trained to do the machine learning part than the guy that did the job? So now he has a safer job because he's basically training a machine to do the stuff that's dangerous or boring yeah. or low value to the company. So I've actually seen the number of jobs increase because this influx of technology, not decrease. I think you're spot on, Mark. And even if I look at Cognite, right, we're a software company at heart. We're 300 and something software engineers. And But effectively, if you start digging, we're not just software engineers. We've hired petroleum engineers, geophysicists, chemical engineers. We need people with that knowledge who understand how the machines operate, how the system runs in order to guide the software and the models. And the same on the field. We see our customers, actually the people that usually are the most happy with us are the people on the field because it's boring. I mean, they need the information. They want to make it easy and they know what they need in order to perform a better job. So we see, yes, there is job threats, but at the same time, we see the engineers, the, the qualified engineers loving being empowered by having access to the data, being able to train the algorithms. So I think you're spot on.
Yeah, it's fascinating. So let's actually, let's take a use case, and we don't have to use a customer's name, but take me from like initial engagement when you first engage with a, an oil and gas company to where you actually drove some business results. As a philosophy, I think we, we need to always try to shorten that cycle. What is great about the whole approach is that it's not going to be a one silver bullet that is going to make you hundreds of millions. It's going to be probably hundreds of them that right. are going to make, and or maybe thousands of them that are going to make the difference. So you might as well start with a few that you can knock quickly so that you show results, you also engage the actual end customers and they realize that that's not just board level this discussion about AI, it's actually something that they can use on their everyday life. So, so very often in our engagement, we try within a few weeks to have something in the hands of the users. So we would select an asset. In very simple example, we had an asset offshore, a few tens of thousands of sensors, maybe in the 100,000 range. And very quickly within, what was it? Three weeks, we had all the sensor information available, all the uh, operational files available, 3D models. We had even rescanned some elements of it so that we could give the guys on the field access on their handheld devices, access to anything that is happening around them. So they could click on any equipment, see current pressure, current temperature. They could navigate a PNID, find what was upstream or downstream. So just opening up the information, liberating the data for them. And that was a matter of weeks, right? And then immediately you get a buy-in because they say, wow, that's different. Actually, now I get it. You give me access to the data. And then in parallel, we started working with some of the maintenance engineer on predictive maintenance or smarter maintenance systems where we could start doing algorithm to predict useful remaining lifetime or prioritizing their maintenance routines. And this is something you do in parallel, right? And so what happens is that within the course of four months, you will have people on the field that will get access to the data, get excited because finally it's real. You will have some of the maintenance engineers being, seeing all the algorithm help them prioritize their job. And then very often we're trying to do some production optimization because in our industry, a increase of 1% or 0.5% of production is a massive amount, yeah. right? So, so then, then everybody realizes that there's real value at the end of the day. And, and there... There's plenty of, plenty of different use cases depending on, I mean, if you have chalk issues, we've done chalk influx prediction. If you have only water issue or capacity issues, trying to do debottlenecking, there's, there's a lot that can be done depending, depending on the customers. And we're talking months, right? Not years. So at the end of that engagement, they see how they can actually start being a machine pushing out use cases. I tell you what, that predictive maintenance, that's the holy grail in this industry. It is. The airline industry figured that out in the 70s and 80s, right? It, and our industry needs it as well. Because the biggest thing about doing predictive maintenance is, number one, you're increasing production, you're increasing uptime. Because yep. you're not doing scheduled maintenance, you're doing it right before it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Y'all touched that already with some of the operators out there. The other things that makes everything safer, right? There's less chance of something blowing up. There's less chance of something catching on fire, right? Because you've taken care of it before something bad happen. I do love the fact y'all have domain expertise. Hmm. There's very few tech companies, even the ones that have a heavy presence in oil and gas, very few of them actually have that domain expertise. Actually, the only one I know of other than y'all is IBM, right? Mm. So y'all are, are in good company. <laughs> a lot of the big good. tech companies know this industry, but they know it from an RFP partnering to solve some problem that the operator put out there versus having domain expertise and be able to come in and help the operator's solve problems they may not even know they have. Again, I think it's critical. So even if you disregard the use cases, because to solve use case, to solve a chalk influx problem, you need to understand what that is. Right. But even when you look at the pure data, how do you know you're going to be able to trust the data if you don't have some domain understanding? Because yes, you can see whether the data flows or not. Great. Maybe you have some boundary conditions that are set, but just to set the boundary condition, you need to understand what you're touching. But then you need to know if it's physically possible. 
if the data that is pouring in when you cross correlate it, whether it's even physically possible because the valves are in a specific configuration or, and that requires domain expertise to build this type of understanding, right? No, no, you're absolutely right. I've actually seen reports and you look at the port and go, there's just, there's something wrong. Exactly. This, this is physically impossible for a 12 inch pipeline to be flowing that much, whatever, <laughs> you know, and either the sensor need to be calibrated or somebody did math wrong somewhere or, or whatever. But if you didn't have that domain expertise, you wouldn't know. Was that built in from the beginning? Is that something yeah. y'all start like from the very beginning to make sure you had that domain yeah. expertise? Yeah. I think that was very strongly. We are not born out of garage in California. Yeah. We're born out of actually Acker, which is a large industrial and, and conglomerate. Well, yeah. Yeah. And we're born out of frustration. <laughs> uh, I'll say it loud on, on, on the airways, where the main owners and the management was believing a lot in this digitalization vision, which was a lot of different things. But they were saying, look, it doesn't, I mean, we don't see any operational impact. So they were really frustrated of not seeing things put in production. And I think that's how the whole story kickstarted because they started looking at the market, looking at what they needed, and then they went to the market figuring out nobody was really trying to solve that data issue, data quality, reliability at scale issue. And then, then they decided, okay, that's an opportunity, but we don't want it just for us because we're not a product company. So we right. might as well have somebody or establish a company that will build something for the whole industry. And then we will benefit from any additions to that because that's not core business for us. And by birthing Cognite as part of the contract they also made available the first client which was AKBP at that time so in the North Sea and the, the agreement was that we're not going to trust this very small ex-Googler ex-Microsoft uh, software engineer without some domain understanding so from the very start there was this combination of very strong domain expertise and computer science data science expertise. that is so cool I've never heard this story before I've been doing this for a long time but mm. I get that Acker had frustrations and I get the fact it wasn't their core competency so they stand up a solution and then they of course, want it to be profitable, so you mm. want other clients. But what a great way to start. So you literally started there. We started there, yeah. And then brought in the tech guys, yep. right? The, yep. the app development guys and yep. the code guys and all that sort yep. of stuff. What a great way to start. And it was extremely mature of them as well because, you know, the, the easy route would have been going for a hard hoc solution. There was nothing as a product on the market. Let's take consultancy and build something for us. But they quickly understood. I mean, they knew that would be a huge cost to maintain. And very little benefits of scale because nobody else in the market would have the same solution. Right. And they were like, look, that's not a competitive advantage. What is competitive for us is what we do with the data. What algorithms are we going to use? How are we going to change our workflow? So, so they quickly decided that that was something that was basically had to be scalable. So it had to be a product. Yeah, well, I mean, this is just a, such a great story. So let's go just a little bit deeper in, into what Cognite does. Now, you call it a software company. Going through your website, y'all are much more than a software company, right? <laughs> software is probably core of what y'all do, mm. but y'all do much more than that. Yeah. Can we kind of go over some of the high-level things that you actually do day-to-day? -day? Sure, sure. And I think the software bit is important, but it's behind the scene, right? Because effectively, the software is the boring part. The value gets created when you start using what the software gives you. So every customer uses the same software. So Cognite Data Fusion, which is the name of the platform or data fusion, data handling, data contextualization piece, everybody runs the same code source. So it's the same product for all our customers around the world. What differs is which data they have, but also which use cases they're trying to solve. There are some commonalities there, but the use case they're trying to solve usually are quite specific. And our engagement with customers typically starts from not from an IT conversation, but to what you liked earlier on, which is, okay, what is the business, what is the business driver? What, right. are we, what are you, dear customer, concretely trying to solve? And yes, this idea of scale. So it's, we're going to end up with hundreds of use cases. So how did you think about organizing yourself in order to scale these use cases? 
who's going to make sure that once you have a great use case, the process is going to change. Your relationship with your supplier is going to change because you're going to be able to right. share data with them. So there's a big conversation that takes place around our engagement. And then you start saying, our philosophy is we do not work as a test. We want to work with a real asset, with real users, and we want to prove results. Because in our experience, there's been so much overused buzzwords there that you come with a lot of reluctance from the assets, although presence say, yeah, that's a central project. Leave us alone, we have a job to do. This engagement with the asset is something that is really, really critical for us. So that's usually how we start, right? We start by asking the customer, how are you going to organize yourself to scale? And where are you going to start? Where are we going to find our first business cases? And that's worked extremely well. And that also gets us respect from the customer because they realize that we're not, we understand that there has to be a value at the end of the day. There has to be an adoption so we can be a partner for them. Yeah. So you're spot on where it needs to actually affect the business, drive business results that are measurable, that are repeatable, that's scalable. There's a lot of the tech vendors out there, and I know you listen to the show, so I'm not making fun of you, but there's a lot of tech vendors out there that it's a lot of academia, mm. right? And there's nothing wrong with academia, mm. but it's not rubber hit the road, executable, real world stuff. And I love that's what y'all are doing. One of my final questions before, because we get close to wind up the show is, so when you come in and you help an organization and you drive efficiencies, but one of the things that you have to run into is resistance to change. Mm. This industry as a whole doesn't like new stuff. And there's a reason for that, right? Mm. But that cultural part is always a difficult thing to get around. And I like how y'all come in almost to the frontline people, because if you can get the frontline people to see the benefit of what you do, they change themselves. Is that something y'all have to deal with? Is that culture of change? Always, always. And actually, surprisingly, yes, the frontline people may see these changes wondering what it means for their job, but usually they're also frustrated about how it works today. They understand that things could be better. The middle management is usually the hard part, actually, because we are threatening the way they've done business forever. That's true. And their knowledge and their position is built on the way it's always been done. So this is probably the hardest layer in the organization that you have to convince and really going at the operation first and showing them how you can concretely, that you you want to understand the problem, you want to solve that problem, is the only way to go about it and with top-level support. I mean, you don't go without that. So at some point, somebody has to make sure that everybody understands that's the direction of the company. It's, yeah. not, it's not something you can choose or it's not elective. Yeah, in my previous life, I was in sales and I've sold a whole bunch of tech to oil yeah. and gas over the years. And that's one of the things is you have to have executive support that you don't want to reach out to every day, but just in case you get stuck, you want to have that person that you can reach out to and go, look. And to your point, if you can get the people to start using it and see the benefits, eventually the culture changes and they're okay with it. It's that first instance though where it gets really difficult so we're getting close to wind down the show before we get any further it's time to do a product review and we're actually reviewing the peak design capture camera clip v3 i know that's a lot anyway imagine a mechanical device that you can actually put on your belt that will fit any type of tripod a quarter inch tripod so we actually use it for our zooms people that are professional photographers use it to clip their camera it's a quick release it's a great way to secure your equipment it's things like 30 bucks links in the show notes you want to go check it out we actually use it ourselves. and then you've heard me talk about the street team if you want to join our all volunteer group go to facebook look up ogg and street team we ask you for an hour's worth of work a week but honestly if you can't do it that's fine we know life gets in the way we got some cool swag coming out for y'all you get to join us as part of our press team if we're in your local area and if we're doing a live event here you get to actually come for free so go join the street team then nutanix is nice enough to be giving away these jbl flip forward bluetooth speakers they are awesome i actually have one not the nutanix version but with the exact same speaker so you want a chance to go in go to the show it's click on the link register and we give away one a week or you can try to remember nutanix.com forward slash og tech podcast 
Francois, this has been great. I mean, we've barely even scratched the surface. I love what y'all are doing. The domain expertise sets y'all apart from everybody else. Your beginning sets you apart from everybody else. You're going to be super successful. I mean, I, I know already y'all are going to be super successful. <laughs> you, it's Mark. the right time in the industry. We need the help. You understand what's going on. I just think this is incredible. If people wanted to learn more about Cognite, where should they go? Well, the website is really the go-to resource. So cognite.com, C-O-J-N-I-E-T-E, C-O-J-N-I-T-E.com. That's the place. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes, people. So whether you're on Android or iOS, you just swipe up or left and you just click on check out the website. Actually, your website's beautiful. Thank I don't know you. who the webmaster is, <laughs> but it's simple and clean and easy to understand, which I guess since y'all are a tech company, you would hope your website's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, that, that's fantastic to hear. You'll make a lot of people happy <laughs> back home, yeah? Yeah. And then if people wanted to learn more about you, where should they go? Well, LinkedIn is a good place to start. I have a profile there and just reach out. Yeah, we'll put a link for Francois' LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. This has been great. I'm sorry the weather's so hot here in Houston, but it's I'm sorry. Fantastic. It's fantastic. We, I came from Norway, so I'm, I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> I got a love affair with Norway. I've been there many times. I can't decide if I like Trondheim or Kongsberg better because they're just two radically different cities. Have you been, Michelle? Are you moving over there? So first thing is the Norwegian people are wonderful, and it's embarrassing because they speak English better than we do, right? Number two, you literally can see the icebergs floating in the fjords where the mountains go into the sea. And they accept it as normal. And it's like, this looks like a postcard. I love Norway. We make it up there a couple times a year. Oh. Next time we make it, I'll give you a shout. and see Absolutely. If grab absolutely. A I, I brought a piece of Norway with me. My wife is from there. So. Ah, so. ah, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, we could talk about this there. But I want to get you back on the show maybe in six months or so because we barely scratch the surface. And I'd like to go actually deeper and maybe even get you on one of our other shows, like the offshore show, where we can actually talk about the technology interface in the offshore environment that might be a really cool Absolutely. thing to do we just deployed some robots offshore i don't know if you've seen that we work with boston dynamic and akbp to deploy some of their boats boston there. dynamic kind of scares me some uh, of their robots <laughs> it looks scary i agree yes. it looks like Alan terminator movie right <laughs> anyway we got to get out of here francois it's great having you on the show thank you mark for having me it was great chatting with you yeah this was fun so folks we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time and here are the events on deck Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck for the next month. We have some exciting things coming up, two happy hours, one in Pittsburgh and one in Denver. So the first one will be happening on March 22nd at Bubba's Gourmet Burgers and Beer. This event will be from four to seven and will feature a live recording of Oil & Gas This Week with Jake Corley and Mark LaCour. So be sure to check that out. You can sign up via our social medias. We have an Eventbrite sign up and should be good to go from there. The next event will be a happy hour in Denver at Liberty Oilfield Services on April 2nd. Once again, check our social medias for the Eventbrite sign up and sign up there. As some of our social media followers may know, we are headed to Aberdeen, Scotland the first week of March, in a couple days actually, for DokuruCon, creating high impact sales and energy. Dokuru is excited to launch its very first sales development conference, and OGGN's Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast, so we're really excited to be joining that. The Leaders in Industry Luncheon is on March 11th at the Petroleum Club of Houston. Port of the Future is happening on March 10th and 11th in Houston. Your registration to the Port of the Future conference also allows you access to exclusive events, including TSA Security and Terrorism, Research Showcase, and many more. So be sure to view the agenda and see what they are offering. The Houston Energy Breakfast will be on March 20th at the Norris Conference Center in Houston. The API Energy Houston 3-Gun Chapter 
will be on March 20th. This event is filling up very quickly, so make sure to get a team in as soon as possible. The BP Energy Outlook 2020 edition will be on April 21st. It's happening online. And this event is about transitions that will take place to a low carbon energy system. That's all for this month, everybody. Hope you guys have a good month and check back in next month to see what events we're having. Thanks. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil and Gas Tent Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.